Song of Solomon. Some of your Bibles say Song of Songs. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get into it this morning. Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. If you haven't been here, then I'll just give you just a quick little rundown of, of where we've been going and why we're in this book. We're in this book because relationships are, are very important to your life. Whether you're single or you're divorced or you're married or you're on Match.com or Christian Mingle Tingle, uh, wherever you're at in the scope of your relationship, they, relationships make, God, make, make life really enjoyable or they can make life really unenjoyable. You can have a lot of money, but if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh, you can have a lot of stuff, but if your relationships are all messed up, if you have really poor relationships with your parents, it can affect you. If you have poor relationships with people of the opposite sex and you go from guy to guy or girl to girl, there's just no fulfillment there, it can, it can really mess up your happiness in life. Well, thank God he gave us a book that deals specifically with this, right? He gave us a book called The Song of Songs. It's one of the wisdom books, and it's just really all about relationship. So we've looked at this couple that's coming together, and the first week we looked at their attraction to each other, what made them attractive to each other, and then we really looked at what we should be attracted to. I mean, I know you need to be attracted more to a hottie with a body. Yes, I'll just say it for you. There needs to be more to it than a hottie with a body. Uh, and we looked at what does the Bible say that we should be attracted to, and then what does the Bible say we should be cultivating in our own life so that we're attractive, so that we're more than just a hottie with a body. Because hottie with a body don't always pay the bills. Yes, Lord. Uh, so if you want amen, I'll just amen myself. Uh, so... We spent one week just looking at being, being attractive. And then we saw this couple. They started getting real serious. Kind of, we would call it courting or dating. Or they actually, we would call it, they got engaged. So we looked at their, you know, they go through the seasons, different seasons of, she's perfect, she's perfect. And you hear her say things like, he's like a, like a gazelle on the mountains. Look at him as he, he is so strong. And he's describing her and he's saying, listen, your hair is black like a bunch of sheep and it's awesome and your teeth are like fresh shorn sheep and all of your teeth are there and it's awesome and 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 you're this and you're that and they go through this where how many y'all know whenever you first start dating they're just perfect right they can't do anything wrong nothing's wrong and then you find out (laughs) what do you find out everything you start finding out everything. So they start going through this season of perfection, and then they go through 12 months of preparation before they get married, and uh, that's very important. We looked at why that's important, and a lot of people don't go through that. Whenever me and my wife got married, we didn't have any preparation. We didn't do any marriage counts or anything like that, and we suffered because of it, split up because of it for a period of time. So, and then, so after, after that, we saw last week they just, they, they've made it to the altar of love, and uh, they consummated their marriage. So there's a whole chapter where he just talks about it's them in the chamber. And in the chamber, they consummate the marriage. And last week, it's pretty spicy. I mean, they're they, they just like loving on each other like some kind of awesome. And uh, it, was, it was great. And, uh, but, but now there's trouble in paradise. That's where we're at now. Is uh, now some of that, that, that Uchi Gucci stuff has, has worn off. And now they're about to start scrapping. Have you ever scrapped before? 
I'm here throwing dishes. Don't lie. I ain't going to get mad at you. I ain't gonna, I'm not, there you go. Look at She's like, yesterday, I threw a meat cleaver at him. He better be glad he ducked. So there, there's up until this point in this book, I mean, you're talking about four chapters of nothing but just like sloppy romance. I mean, this guy makes you feel bad. You're just like, golly, give me a break. It's like he's describing her temples. Who describes a woman's temples? Your temples are like pomegranates. Your neck is like the towers of Solomon's temple. That's what he says. Your breasts are like fawns. Don't ask me. Uh, but I mean, just real descriptive. He's pouring it on. She's pouring it on, man. Talking about how he's just this and his thighs are like pillars of iron and his calves and his shoulders are like onyx. I mean, they just pouring it all on. But you're about to find out that things are about to get cold. And if you've ever been in relationships very, very long, then uh, you know that this is perfectly normal. And uh, so before we get into this, uh, I, I want to I let you know that we're going to be talking about centering this message about this word, anger. And we're going to talk about anger. And, uh, but I want to say that there's nothing wrong with anger. I just want to throw this caveat out there in that there's nothing wrong with anger. People think that anger is a negative emotion. Actually, anger is a godly emotion. Nothing wrong with you getting angry. No problem there. God actually got angry, right? If you look through the Old Testament, God, get, God got angry. He would tell, he told Abraham, he says, I'm going to kill everybody. That's what he said. And Abraham was like, no, no, Lord, you can't kill them all. If you kill them, then they'll say that you aren't, that you aren't merciful and that you aren't good. And he says, if I find a hundred, will you spare them? He says, all right, I'll spare them if you find a hundred. He says, if, you find 50, if, if I find 50, will you spare them? And it gets all the way down to one. So there's this negotiation going on. But the, the reality is God got angry in the Old Testament. He told Noah, he says, everybody, I'm wiping everybody out. Build a boat. That's what he's telling him. He says, you're the only one that is, lives with me in mind. You think about me. You, you make sacrifices to me. You give offerings to me. You're mindful of me. Nobody else cares about me. Ever since Adam and Eve, things have gone totally south and they're destroying each other. I've got to start over. Noah, you're the seed. So God would get mad whenever people would complain. Just like you get mad at your kids. How I many of you get mad at your kids when they complain? Shut up. I mean, I want to tell your kids that before. They complain, right? They didn't get their croissant. They, right? That was my kids this morning. They didn't get their croissant. I went. They were closed. Don't pout. There's children in Africa. How many ever used the children in Africa? I mean, I like that. There's children in Africa. I've never been to Africa, but I've seen on TV. There's children in China. Yes, you, you pick one. There's children, and you're trying to teach them, hey, I need you to be thankful, be happy for what you got. You got a thousand toys. You live in a nice house. You go to a nice school. You wear nice clothes. I let you have long hair. Hey, I'm better than you think I am. So God's the same way. In the Old Testament, they would complain, and they would murmur, and they would say, oh, we wish we were back in Egypt. In Egypt, we got to eat this. And when we were living in the world, we got to experience that. And sometimes as Christians, we say, oh, I wish I could still go do this. I'll do this. And we complain. Stuff like that makes God mad. So there's nothing wrong with anger. Jesus began and ended his ministry by cleansing the temple. Jesus got angry. And in the New Testament, he's flipping tables over. 
You've made my church a den of thieves. You, you, you've turned it into a place where you manipulate people and you're trying to get money out of them. And he's, he, he begins his ministry by cleansing the temple. He ends his ministry by totally destroying the temple. He totally cleanses it. So Jesus got angry, angry, God got angry, and there's nothing wrong with you getting angry. Angry is a perfectly normal emotion. God just sets some parameters in place. And then the parameters are, he's given us this scripture here, you've got it in your worship guide, is you can totally get angry, but in Ephesians chapter 4 it says you have to be angry and what? Do not sin or sin not. In other words, he says you can't let, allow any emotion to cause you to sin. There is a line and there's an anger line. You can't cross that anger line. You can't allow anger or any emotion to cause you to do something that, that hurts people or hurts the heart of God. There's certain words, certain things. You can be angry, but you can't say them. There's certain actions. You can be angry, but you don't need to say them. He says, if your emotions cause you to sin, it's a problem. So in your first little blank, you just don't sin. You can't sin. You can be angry all you want. You can get mad at your wife, get mad at your husband. Woo! But... You can't sin. The next thing he says you can't do with anger is he says you can't, you write in there, you can't hold it. In other words, God didn't design you to be an anger container. That You can't have aged anger. You can't have anger that is in this. It, we think, well, you can't have anger that's a week old or that's a month old or that's a year old. You can't hold on to anger. But he actually says, how long do you get to have it? Read it. What's it say? Put it up there, Christian, behind me. Nope, 26. Be angry and do not sin, right? And he says, don't let what? How often does the sun come up? How often does it go down? So you got 24 hours. That's his allotted time. He basically says, listen, there's nothing wrong with you getting angry. You can totally be angry, but it can't cause you to sin, and you can't carry it. You can't be a container for anger. You can't go through your life. Anger, Jesus actually said that, that if you have bitterness, and all bitterness is, is just unresolved anger. Jesus said, he says, if you have bitterness in your life, it's like a sycamine tree, and you have to rip that tree out of your life. If you don't, it's going to affect, it's going to permeate all your relationships. It's going to affect every facet of your life. Jesus said, you need to rip unresolved anger out of your life and throw it into the sea. If you can't do that, it's going to be a problem. So you can't hold it, and you can't... It can't cause you to sin, but outside of that, you can totally have, you can have anger. In all relationships, you get mad at each other. Me and my wife, we, 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 we disagree every stinking day. And you say, I cannot believe that the preacher at the church, he and his wife, I can tell you, we disagree multiple times a day. Not just one. Every day we disagree on something. That doesn't mean that we fight every day, but every day she does things that I just don't agree with, right? I'm up at butt 30. How many of y'all know what butt 30 is? Right? 5.30, 6 o'clock, I'm wide awake. By the time I've had my two cups of coffee, I've watched the news, I've read my Bible, I've prayed, and she hasn't even, the, the blinds aren't even open, right? I have a problem with that. And I used to change that problem. How, how many of y'all know it, it did no good? Right? It didn't do any good. I'd get up and they'd be like, pray and pray, pray, pray. And then I would like go in there and pray loud in her room while she's sleeping just so she knew like I'm spiritual and God's using me. I'm a vessel of his honor and you're a lazy slob. So 
I would go in there and pray and like try to get her up. And then we would have these arguments where I would say, you need to pray more. You need to do that. And finally, the Lord, he corrected me. He said, that's not your servant. It's my servant. Leave her alone. She's not my daughter. She's not your daughter. She's my daughter. And I said, she's my wife. And he didn't care. (laughs) I'm the convictor. I'm the Holy Spirit. Your job is to love her as Christ loved the church. So through teaching and just getting, getting understanding through these wisdom books, God kind of starts to change and rearrange the things that we got angry about. So I don't really get angry about that, and we don't have disagreements about that anymore, but there's, there's plenty of things. Every day we disagree about what to watch on television, right? She likes to watch stupid shows, uh, in my opinion. She likes, she likes uh, black and white movies, which some of the others, nothing wrong with those, but I just can't, can't I'm like, they're color now. Uh, we've, we've evolved. Uh, let's go ahead and get, so she likes black and white movies. She likes Pride and Prejudice. She likes Masterpiece Classic. She likes to live in that era. And all the ladies are like, yeah, me too. Uh, I like Pawn Stars. I like, my wife can, she'll, she'll watch the last 30 minutes of a movie which to me doesn't make any sense. She wants to sit down, eat a bowl of cereal, and just find a movie, any movie, and watch. And I'm like, I don't want to watch two-thirds or the last third of a movie. I like 30-minute shows where, with no plot. Right? They're catching crab. Awesome. They're showing you how to make things. They're showing you how factories work. They're showing you the National Geographic. Right? So we have disagreements. Right? She wants to watch this. I want to watch that. She wants to eat this, and I just want to cook meat. Right? What's for dinner? Ribs. What else? Just ribs, baby. I cooked ribs. We can't eat just ribs. The children, yes, we can. Sit down. I'll make you a plate of ribs. It's going to be amazing. So, and there's these little tiffs. Every day, there's just disagreements. But I will say this. We rarely, rarely just get out of control anger and just get 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 really mad and and move into this place to where it, it's bad. But some of you have been there. Some of you have watched your parents do this. Some of you have watched your siblings. Some of you have, it, because of uh, the modeling of your parents, you move into this other realm of anger that's a problem. Anger that you hold on to and you just do silent treatment for a week. Have you ever done that before? I just ain't talking. Well, I found out that's not punishment to my wife. Right? Well, I'm just not going to touch you. I think she likes that. I think she's like... <laughs> Great. Mission accomplished, right? Well, when we get in bed, you can't even put your toes over here. Super. I think, uh, so that's not really punishment for her. But we, there was a time in, in, our, in our early in our marriage where I wouldn't say anything, right? I would just let it, I just, I don't want to fight, 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 I don't want to fight. And we would get along for two or three months. And then after about three months, I would mow her down, right? Because I'd banked. All of this stuff, and I would, and I'm not proud about this, I would, I would destroy her verbally. I would say, you did this, you did this, you did, and for the, for the past three months of things that I said that I just want to get along, because I didn't, I let the sun go down, I just banked it, and then I would just cut her to pieces with all the things that I had banked in my life. So some of you, you'll do silent treatment, or you'll just say harsh things, and uh, that, that's, that's kind of...
kind of a, it really is, it's a serious thing. So I know whenever you hear me talk about it, you think, yeah, they, they fight over ribs. <laughs> they, they fight over this. They fight over Pawn Star. <laughs> but really, there's a, there's a real serious aspect of it. And if, if you look at one of the verses we looked at just a couple of weeks ago, it says that the little foxes destroy the vine. In other words, God said your marriage is a vineyard and there's vines in that marriage and even little things can get in there and not mess it up, not cause it to be a little bit unproductive, but can actually destroy. The whole vineyard can be destroyed from these little, what seems like insignificant things. Me and Noble, we like to watch this show destroyed in seconds. Another one of those great quality broadcasting moments. That we are lucky to experience, you know, and it just shows the, the blowing up of Caesar's, the original Caesar's palace. You know, they put all those charges in there. Three, two, one. And you'll see the mayor, you know, dropped it. You know, he's got like an 80 suit on. He'll push that thing and then you're do, 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 do. Same thing I would do to my wife. Do, 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 do. And in just a moment, there's irreparable damage. You'll never have that building back the way that it was before. Why? Because do, 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 do. there was this explosion. These little things got in there that were insignificant things, but all put together in the, the vineyards totally broken, totally destroyed. And so it is, a, it is a serious thing. And this is kind of a light, practical type message. But if you don't watch these things, that there's seeds of unforgiveness, seeds of bitterness, seeds of, of hereditary type things that you've watched other people model, even on television. And it can get in there and destroy the vine. And Jesus said it like this. And it's in your worship guide, Matthew chapter 19. Uh, he, he's telling these people are coming to him and they're asking him, what's grounds for divorce? When can you divorce? And they're trying to trip him up on the law. And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart. Put it up there, Christian. They need this stuff up behind me. Because of the what? Hardness of your heart. You were permitted to divorce. Everybody say divorce. According to Jesus, he says, divorce, the real problem with divorce is not when or how, all that. He says, you're trying to find out when you can or what warrants it and all that. Jesus says, listen, the reason that divorce is an issue is because of unresolved anger. The reason that divorce is an issue is because of bitterness. The reason that divorce is an issue is because your heart, over a period of time, it actually hardens. And he says, once, once your heart is hardened, then divorce is at the door. So in order to reverse that hardening process, then there's certain things that you have to do. The first thing you have to do is we find out in Ezekiel, uh, God actually said, he says, I'm going to take out your stony heart and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. That's a work of God. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's not something that you can do. So the first, the best thing that you could ever do if you have anger issues is to allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart. One little message on a Sunday morning ain't going to do it. I can tell you. It's going to come by you saying, God, I recognize this is a problem, a pattern, something that's going on in my life that's affected my marriage. We've been married 15 years. So we've been married 20 years. And we used to get along. But now I'm seeing that the kids are out of college and it's emptiness, that, that this is coming up. It's creeping up. We aren't seeming to get along. There's this unresolved anger or whatever it is. Jesus said, because of hardness of the heart, people begin to, they, they divorce. 
So that's not the will of God. So even though this is a, 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 a practical message, it can really get into some problems. And, and, and us as Christians haven't always done a great job of it. And statistically, one out of every four people in this room, according to Reader's Digest, uh, 25% of all of us have been affected by this in some way. And statistically, about six out of every 10 or five out of every 10 in a marriage, Christian or non-Christian, will end in divorce. So this must be somewhat of a pretty big deal that's going on in our life, in our society. So we're going to find out, find out why God gave us this wisdom book and find out what, what our good people here are going through. So if you got your Bible, chapter 5, verse number 2, we're going to read uh, all the way down to the 5th chapter. We're going to read 3 or 4 verses here, and we're going to see that there, there's, a, there's, some, there's some stuff on the horizon with our good people. Verse number 2, she says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. And he knocks saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. This is her response. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch, and my heart yearned for him. I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, and my, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. Really interesting. We just came out of this experience where they had, had, a, had a really uh, great honeymoon, and yet now we find this woman, she's laying in bed, she says, I'm in the sleeping position, but I'm wide awake. I've gone to bed, I've waited up as long as I'm going to wait up. I've texted, I've called, I don't know where he is. I, I, I didn't know, maybe he went bowling, maybe he's on the back nine, maybe he went night fishing. I don't know where my man is, I've waited up as long as I can possibly wait up. And now I'm going to bed, I'm tired of waiting. And she says, I'm laying in bed, and I, I'm asleep, but I'm really not asleep. I'm fuming. How many of you have ever done that before? Don't lie. You lay in bed. But you stay in bed for like an hour, just waiting for him to come in so you can huff. Just want you to know, I'm not asleep yet. Right? It's like that story that man... Yeah, he's having a fight with his wife, you know, and they're, they don't, they're doing, giving the silent treatment to each other. They don't want to talk to each other. So he writes a note, you know, he goes to bed. It says, wake me up. I have a plane to catch at nine and leaves it on, on, on her pillow because he doesn't want to say anything. And he thinks, well, whenever she wakes me up, she'll be the first one to talk. So, of course, he wakes up, he's missed his plane, he missed everything. He's mad and he rolls over and there's a note on his pillow that says, wake up. Right. Silent treatment. Wake up. So she's laying there. He's not there, but now here he comes. And, and he's about to pour it on. He comes and he knocks on her door. You got to understand back then they actually had a chamber and my brother is locked out. The door is locked. She says, I've gone to bed. I've taken my robe off. 
I've already washed my shoes. I'm locked out. And here he comes. And apparently he's been gone for all night long because he says there's dew all over me. My hair is wet. And he comes knocking on the door. And what's he say to her? Sugar plum. Honey bun. Give me another one. Lollygag. Okay, okay. Sweets. Is that what it is, Brenda? Is that what you call her, sweets? Snuffleupagus, that's probably not a good one. Uh, honey bun sweets, he calls, he says, my dove, my lover, my perfect one. What's he wanting? He wants in that chamber. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. He, he wants in that chamber. I've come in now. I was out at the temple. I was here. We've been doing this, playing dominoes, throwing washers, whatever we've been doing. Hey, open up that latch. Let me, let, let, let me in there. And her response is, I have a headache. Or, uh, I'm not interested. I don't want to. You had your chance. She basically says, I've already, I've already taken my robe off. And you know what? He's thinking, great. Uh, <laughs> I've already washed my feet. I'm not here for your feet. Uh, but she's given all these excuses. She says, no, no, no. She says, you're not coming in. I've, I've locked it. I've gone to bed, you had your chance, and now you can just move on down the road. And it says here that he put his hand on the latch, and I've read a bunch of different commentaries, and some people say that he actually hit the door, he actually punched the door. Some people say, you know, that they believe that he just waited at the latch of the door. But over some period of time, and the Bible doesn't say what period of time it is, she gets up, she puts on lotion, puts on myrrh, and all that stuff. She goes to the door, and finally she, for whatever reason, women do this, Changed her mind. I mean, I have a lady that changed her mind. She just changed her mind. For, so for whatever reason, she goes up, she opens the door, but the Bible says that he is not there. So there was some different expectations. And in your worship guide, I, I want you to write these down. And one, one of them, or the first one is, is just unexpressed expectations. In other words, whenever we get married, a lot of times we assume that we think things are going to be a certain way, right? We assume that, that, well, my mom always had a hot meal on the table for my dad. So I was assuming that whenever I came home from work every day, there was going to be a hot meal. Well, I assume because my daddy always checked the air in the tires, I assume my mom always took care of the kids and my dad always this well I assumed that we were just gonna make out every day all day and you were gonna cook me bacon and homemade ice cream and it was gonna be awesome and I assumed that I was gonna get to watch whatever I want and I was going and I assumed and there's these un unexpressed expectations and whenever you don't express your expectations most of the time you go into it with unrealistic expectations they're just, you expect things that, that aren't real. We're, we're about to marry. We're in marriage counseling with, I think, four or five different couples right now, people that are getting married. And, and we, we do a fair amount of marriages uh, every, every year. And I guess it was, uh, we had recently, a few months ago, had done marriage counseling with this young couple, you know, and they're like 19 years old. And they were, I mean, I was saying just, they, they hold hands like, their hands are like so wound up. It's like, it seems like their wrists are made out of jello. You're like, how do you even hold hands like that? But they wind up like this and they squeeze until their knuckles are white. How many of y'all remember those days? Anybody? I remember they said, this is how much I love you. This much we're going to be together forever. You're 
perfect. So, so they, they, they walk in like that. And they were so cute. And I even told them, I said, y'all are such a pretty couple. Man, y'all, look at y'all. Y'all are just so in love. And they look at each other like, oh, my God, I love him so much. And I love her so much. And her so, much. so I just asked them, I said, what do y'all fight about? And they like look at each other like, should we tell him? Should we tell him? We don't fight. And I thought, oh, good. I said, yeah, but what do y'all disagree about? And they look at each other. And then they look back at me and listen. And they say, we don't disagree about anything and then they just talk about how well they communicate and how well they get along and 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 everything is just perfect and and then you have to bust their bubble right right and then you gotta say well y'all need to practice because it's coming right when she falls in the toilet because you left the seat up it's coming when you don't pick up the kids she told you to pick up and he's still at the mall two hours later it's coming. I can tell you, the, it's, the sparks are going to fly. But, but you could tell they're just in this mode of, we just want to get married. We just, and they just have these real unrealistic expectations. And you have this guy that just probably thought, I can do whatever I want. I can go out. I can stay. I can play washers. I can shoot dominoes. I can go night fishing. I can play golf. I can do whatever. And whenever I go home, I got a woman that's just waiting for me in the chamber. And it's just real unrealistic. And maybe she thought, well, I thought we were going to do Beth Moore studies all the time and, 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 and have long moments of prayer. And, and we were going to huggle and, and, and huggle. We were going to cuddle and huggle. And, and I just thought that it was going to be this way. And I just thought that it was going to be this way. And because they never expressed it, it became unrealistic. And then it becomes unrealized. And whenever, whenever it becomes unrealized, that's when people say, I think I married the wrong person. I think I'm with the wrong person. I think because whenever we were dating, it was like this. And now that we're married, it's like this. And there's a real problem there. So let's see how they dealt with this problem. Because God wouldn't have put all this in here for nothing. So verse number six, she says, I rose. I went outside to find him, but he wasn't there. He left. Whether he hit the door or whether he stayed outside the door, the reality is... She wasn't letting him in, and he left. He bolted. He says, well, I'll go, I'll go on down the road. And it says that, that her heart leaped when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. She's going around. She's looking for him now. And this is a really disturbing scripture here, really unusual scripture. She says, watchmen who went about the city found me. Now, who are these watchmen? Watchmen are kind of like police. They patrolled the wall of the city to make sure that there weren't people doing things that they shouldn't have done. And she says, as I'm out looking for my beloved, these watchmen found me and they struck me or they beat me and they wounded me. Really, really interesting. And then she says, and then they took my veil away from me. Now, what I want you to see here is is a small, what was probably a small, insignificant event, right? She's at home. She's awake. He comes over. The door's locked. She don't want to get up. She's already bathed. They have this little tiff. He takes off. And because he gets out of position, he leaves his wife exposed. Or he leaves his wife uncovered. And now other people come in and wound her, beat her, and take her veil off of her. Now we have a big problem. 
There's a little fox that has gotten into the vine. And now if they don't deal with this, now you've got a real problem. Because you left me, you abandoned me. And because you left me, because you abandoned me, now these other people, they wounded me. And now there's an open wound. There's some, there's some stuff that's going to need some healing. How I many of y'all know it should have never gone that far, right? It should, if they would have dealt with it at the beginning, then he would, if he would have stayed in his place, then we wouldn't have got to this point. And so, so she gets beaten. They take the veil off of her. And then verse number eight, she says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved him, tell him that I'm lovesick. Tell him that, that I miss him or that I want him to come back home. Verse number nine, she says, what is your beloved more than any other beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than any other beloved that you so charge us? And now this is interesting. And in your last three, three verses here, you're going to see them start to make some reconciliation. And they're not together at this point, but separately, they start to deal with some of these issues that they have. So on your worship guide, it just says how to resolve or resolving conflict. So this is kind of the way I want to leave it with you as far as the practical side of it. It is how do you resolve some of these things that, that you're going to go through. Again, there ain't nothing wrong with anger. You just can't hold on to it and you can't allow it or make you, uh, have it make you to sin. So, so if, there's, if there's three things I could leave with you about how to do or how what I see people not do very good is just you write in there, talk, or you could write, communicate. That if, if people would just communicate a little bit better or be able to express some of the problems, the things that they're going through, that they, they would be a lot further. Me and my wife, just a couple of weeks ago, we had to have a, a come to Jesus meeting. I mean, I know what a come to Jesus meeting is. We just had, and we did. The kids were at school, and we've been really busy. We're building, we're building the church, and I've been going this way 90 miles to nothing. She's been going this way 90 miles to nothing, and we're just kind of crossing each other in the halls, and it just, and we weren't mad at each other, but there was some frustration that I could tell was building up in me, and there was that certainly some frustration that was building up in, in her, and finally, we just had to get the kids at school, and we just sat at the breakfast table and just said, this is what's going on in my life, and this is this. And if I'm like this, it's because of this. And, and then she's like, well, if I'm like this, it's because of this. Because you don't understand all this. And then I don't understand. And I say, yeah, I didn't know you had all that going on. And, and there was some communication. And then there was some resolution. Because I asked the Lord uh, yesterday. I was up here praying, getting ready for today. I said, Lord, if anger is not a bad thing, if you get angry and, and Jesus gets angry and you don't, it's a godly emotion. We're made in your image. So we're allowed to get anger. You know, what is a definition of anger? Give me a definition of anger. So this is not Webster's definition. This is the way the Lord gave it to me. Is, 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 and I'll just read it to you. It's in your worship guide. Anger is an emotion to express a problem in an effort to compromise and bring a resolution. In other words, most people just stay in the first half, which is anger is an emotion to express a problem. I'm mad. This is why I'm mad. And I'm real mad. And you're going to get the silent treatment or... I'm going to let the air out of your tires. Just kidding. Uh, whatever I am upset, but godly anger always looks how it can compromise and how it can bring a resolution. That's what godly anger. Godly anger, it says there's nothing wrong with that emotion, but it needs to move you towards a place where you say, I'm willing to compromise, and more than anything, I want a solution. 
And if you have that type of anger in your marriage, then you can have a long-lasting marriage. But that type of anger, it, it takes some communication. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up what? Harsh words. Put it up there, Christian. There it is. Harsh words stir up anger. Soft answer. How many of you ever found this scripture to be difficult? Man, y'all are a lot better than me. Because I lean towards the harsh word, right? But he says, a soft answer turns very wet. Harsh words. So that just goes with communicate. The second thing uh, I would encourage you to do is focus on the good. Remember the good things. I brought... uh, I, 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 was, I was listening, Billy Graham's got a wife, or he had a wife named Ruth, and they were married for years and years and years and years and years, and, and early on in their marriage, uh, she had young kids, and Billy was on the road preaching seven months out of 12 months, out of the year. So she's at home raising these little kids, he's off preaching, and for seven months out of the year, he's gone. So this journalist came to, came to Ruth and said, don't you have a problem with your husband being gone all the time? He's got you with the kids. He's gone seven months out of the year. And I'll never forget this, but her response is, she said, five months with Billy is better than 12 months with anybody else on the planet. Isn't that amazing? What a great statement. She says, I understand he's gone and I'm with the kids. But the best part, she just knew how to focus on the good things. And for some reason, I don't know, but I think most people do this. I certainly did. Is when you're, when you're dating somebody, they can do no wrong. They can't do anything wrong. It's just like, it's like you're, 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 well, not even perfect. You're like an angel or something. It's like, you're not even human. You're just like, send me an angel right now. Right now. Remember that song? I've been sent an angel. You're, you're just amazing. But then whenever you get married, you can't see anything right. You just see everything wrong. And marriage counselors say that, that, that most people have a spouse that is 80% good and 20% bad, but they'll leave the 80% that's good to go find 20% in somebody else. So, so, but, so you have to focus on, you have to remember all the good, no matter whether my wife likes my cooking or she don't like this or some of my unrealized expectations or my unrealistic expectations, all of that stuff, none of that really, that, that matters if I focus on the good in, in her. You got to focus, but, but it's hard to focus. And focus just means that, that you hone in on that. Number three is cleave, don't leave. Our, our, our man Solomon here, he, he bolted. He picked up. He, said, he says, I'm going to leave. I was riding down the road uh, with, with, uh, with my kids. I guess this was last week. And they were asking me about the diamond in mom's wedding ring. I mean, I know kids are so funny. My eight-year-old, she's sitting there. She's like, oh, mom has a diamond in her, in her ring. Uh, and then Anne says, she says, how much do diamonds cost? And I was like, oh, man, they're thousands of dollars. You know, diamonds aren't expensive there. And she says, oh, you don't have a diamond in your ring. How much did your ring cost? I was like, well, like 200 bucks. And then uh, Noble in the back seat's like, that ain't right, man. That ain't right. I said, well, welcome to our world, son. But, you know, then I'm like, well, no, there'll be plenty of other things you spend money on. Trust me, you'll have plenty of hobbies. You'll buy guns and knives and golf clubs and all that stuff. So, so you, they get theirs and you'll get yours, I assure you. 
But then Ansley, she asked me, she says, was, well, the rings, what do they mean? And then she asked me, she says, is anything written on the rings? I said, well, actually, on the inside of the ring is, is a verse, on the inside of my wedding ring. And it says Genesis 2.24. So you can put that up there. So they, they want to know, well, what's Genesis 2.24? Genesis 2.24 says it's right for a man to leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. And the two of them shall become one flesh. So the last one I'll leave is just don't quit or, or don't, don't walk out. Don't give up on it. Because Jesus here, at the beginning, he, said, he says, listen, it's the hardness of your heart that causes people to go. And whether you've been a victim of divorce, you've experienced divorce or whatever, uh, it, it, I believe that as we grow in certain facets of our relationships, that, that we can have softer hearts, we can communicate better, we can express our expectations so that they aren't unrealistic and that, and that we aren't unsatisfied. But, but here, he says, you, you've got to cleave. And, and, and I'll close with this. What's interesting is, is I told you in the first two chapters... Do y'all remember what he kept calling his lady over and over and over again? Anybody remember? Yeah, he kept calling her. Nine times he called this woman. He says, you're my darling. couple more verses. You're my darling. couple more verses. You're my darling. Nine times he says, you're my darling. And literally that's translated, you're my best friend. The first couple chapters of this book, he says, you're my best friend, you're my best friend, you're my best friend, you're my best friend. I showed you last week that after they got married, six times he starts calling her, you're my spouse, you're my spouse, you're my spouse, you're my spouse, you're my spouse. In other words, we're married, you're my spouse. You're not just my best friend, but you are my best friend. But now I'm committed to you, I'm joined to you, we've been united together, you're my spouse now the last one what i want to show you in the last verse i'll give you is if you look at chapter 6 verse number 13 because we don't have time to read all of it but but after the, these women these people ask her they say where's your beloved where's your beloved she starts to remember the good of her husband she starts to remember all the things that she liked or, or what she loved about her husband so so just look at verse number 10 of chapter 5. I'll read this real quick. He says, she, she's talking, she says, My beloved's white and ruddy. He's chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of water. He's washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, a bank of scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. So she gets beat up and things happen, but she begins to now, she's recounting the good in him and what, what, what she loves about him. She says, he's my friend, he's my beloved. And now if you look at him, he does the same thing in verse number four of chapter six. She, he says, oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Tizra. You're as lovely as Jerusalem. You're as awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they've overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats. 
going down from Gilead. Your teeth, or he says the same thing he said in the first chapters. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing, every one bearing its twins. None is bearing among you. Like a pomegranate are your temples behind your veil. So both of them now have gone through this process of remembering each other and, and wanting to reconcile each other. And then the last verse I'll give you, verse number 13. She says, or he says, return, return, O Shulamite. Everybody say Shulamite. This is his new name for her. He went from darling to spouse, but now he actually addresses her or he calls her, you are my Shulamite. And he says, return, return, that we may look upon you. Well, what does Shulamite mean? Shulamite literally means the girl version of me. That's what Shulamite means. What's he saying? We would say it like this, my better half or the other half of me is what he's saying. He's saying that you are the same thing like, like Genesis 2.24, the two shall become one. So, so after they've gone through their little tiff, now they've remembered the good in each other, and he calls her, he says, I need you. You're the other half of me. You're actually my better half. Or you could say it in Jerry Maguire terms, you complete me. <laughs> you remember that? You, com- you complete me. You didn't know that came from the Bible, but it actually did. Song of Solomon right here, chapter 6, verse 13. You complete me. But, but that's what Shulamite literally means. This, this person is the other half of me. This person is the girl version of me. We're joined. She's bone of my bone. How many of y'all remember whenever God created Adam and Eve? How many of y'all remember that? He, he put Adam asleep, right? Adam's out. And God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helpmate for him that will be with him and help him. So he puts Adam in a deep sleep. He takes a rib out of, he takes a rib out of her. How many remember that country song that says, I want my rib back? It's my favorite country song ever. Anybody know that one? Oh man, that's a good one. It's Keith Whitley. He says, I think I want my rib back. It's a great song. Good country western song. So he puts, he puts, her, he puts him asleep takes this rib out of her, fashions her, and then he wakes up and says, whoa, what? Man. Whoa. Man. And then he says, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You're part of me. You came out of me. If, if Adam could say it, he'd say, Shulamite. You are the girl. You are the other half of me. And God says whenever these two halves come together, the two of them shall become one. In other words, in the the eyes of God, whenever a, a couple comes together, those two halves make a whole so, and, and we're very different, and I've learned this. My, my wife is very different than me. She has a maternal instinct that I don't have, right? I don't have that, you know. Uh, she's like, did you bathe the kids? Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> They're dirty. They'll be all right. That's my response. They'll be all right. Did you feed the kids? Yeah, ribs. <laughs> they ate ribs. I mean, I know to a mother, those things are not acceptable, right? Did you pick up the kids? No, I thought you did. That's not acceptable, right? So there is this maternal, motherly, emotional, communicative gift 
that my wife has that, that I, I don't have. And for a long time, I didn't like that, right? I wanted her to be me. And I, there's certain traits about me, but, but God made us male and female. He made us man and woman. But here he says, you're my Shulamite. You're bone of my bone. You're flesh of my flesh. You're the other part of the other half of me. And now this is where we end and we'll pick up here next week where they actually have covenant love. And I'll take this into Easter because I told you at the beginning of this, many people read this book as a story about a husband and a wife, but it's also a picture of Christ and the church. It's a picture of Jesus and his bride and everything that he goes through the cities looking for us. He wants to be joined to us. So that's the... Conflict. How many of y'all think you can do better this week resolving it? Don't shut down, sir. Don't shut down. Don't, don't, give, her, don't give him the silent treatment, ma'am. No, don't do that. Communicate. If, if you could talk, I'm telling you, God wants to help and give us wisdom so that we aren't a statistic. He wants us to go forward.